Welcome to another Mother Runner Answers. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. And uh, this is Dimity McDowell in snowy Denver. Oh my gosh. So, but new snow. Yes. New no? snow. Yes. And not polar vortex snow. So oh thank God. God for that. The polar vortex. Holy cow. Have you seen that, Sarah? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I got, um, uh, was trading some emails with the, our guests who, by the time this comes out, it'll be last week's podcast, but it's before the recording of that. I mean, it's going to be negative 55 in in the Twin Cities. Oh, I know. My friends in Duluth, their their school was canceled just because of cold on yeah. like Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The guest yeah. is too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and Liz, who is uh, Liz Waterstrat, who is our, you know, running by heart rate and one of our triathlon coaches, mm-hmm. um, she uh, she was at the gym. I was I had a question with for her about some stuff we were working on together. And she's like, yep, the internet's frozen at home. That's how cold it is. Like, her <laughs> internet was literally not working since she was writing to me from the from the treadmill so um so I'm glad I'm not in that situation although it was a balmy like six degrees here this morning um so I was very glad to uh jump in the pool and the warm water yeah Uh uh do you ever I sometimes um chuckle at people who are like how do you swim in the winter and I'm like (laughs) it's indoors and they're like oh but I can't stand to you know take off my clothes and you know I'm like yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem. It's warm in there. <laughs> well, yeah, it's most of the time it's warm. If it's cold, I have a problem with it. I have been cold in the pool, and that is not fun in the wintertime. Uh-huh. Uh, but but I knew today that it would be nice. I knew it, had, it would have a tropical kind of greenhouse feel to it all. So. <laughs> right. There's a, a lot of condensation on a glass surface. In the exactly. Room. <laughs> exactly. That's funny you say that. It's uh, This this is going to like throw back way, way, way back. We're like throwing it back to like Casey Kasem days. But um. <laughs> But when we were rowing, we were, uh, I think we were sophomores. Yeah, sophomores. And, you know, the light, the, the ice on our little Lake Moraine. Uh, so we, we rowed at Colgate on this tiny little lake called Lake Moraine. Uh-huh. And, um, and the ice froze over, right? And yeah. so wintertime, you know, you get to the point where you need to get on the water because the spring races are coming. Yeah. A lot of other crews row on, row on rivers, um, which don't freeze up or they unfreeze more quickly. Yep. Um, so anyway, so we went to Syracuse to um to to practice on the Erie Canal mm-hmm. and um and we did this drill which uh, I mean I just think about it now it's called throwing away your oar and it's basically like well you know this but I'm explaining yeah. it to the crowd so you really want to you know when you go up to catch which means that that's when you put your oar in the water um you really want to make sure that you're like really like having a full extension and reaching up to, to have it go down into the water the oar go into the water and so you do this drill where you throw it away um, and literally let go of it. And we were at a four. So that's four oh. people plus one coxswain. And um, so typically when you do that drill, you have half the boat um, mm-hmm. keep their oars steady. You know, that means that they're basically like spatulas on top of the water, keeping in the boat nice and balanced. And then the other half or even pair throw away their oars. So basically yep. the, it's super steady. Yep. And um, our coxswain was like, let's do all four. Oh. Um, and <laughs> Courtney, who was my roommate at the time, and my good friend was like, I don't know if we should do all four. And the coxswain was like, let's just try it once. And then if not, we'll, we'll you know, then, then two can set it up, set up the boat. So we all four threw away our oars, let go of our oars, and went into the Erie Canal. And like, it was before spring break. I mean, it was probably March. 15th. Oh my gosh. Freezing. I mean, so dang cold. So, I mean, I still, I still feel like I owe a thank you note. I stole um, a women's Syracuse crew sweatshirt out of 
their locker room because everything was just soft. I mean, we had no dry clothes to put on. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, because you store your stuff under the seat in the yeah, boat. So, yes. yeah. And we yeah. had nothing, nothing. I mean, we all kind of like, you know, I mean, it was in the lost and found pile, but still, I feel bad about it still. It still crosses my mind. And, um, and, I mean, our feet were red. We, and we only had one launch, which means one coach, you know, so he wasn't able, I mean, the whole thing was just a disaster. But the whole reason why I'm bringing this up now is because when you said swimming inside, somebody, so I got, so then I'm like, okay, we are getting back to Colgate, which is like an hour drive. Yeah, I know. That's or, what, when, or, you said, when you said no dry clothes, I'm like, and you have an hour drive. Right. Yes. So I got stopped by a cop on the oh. way back. Colgate. And, um, and so I have the whole boat in my car and I said, um, you know, this is what happened. And I'm like, we are just trying to get home so we can warm up and get in some dry clothes and blah, blah, blah. He goes, don't you guys wear wetsuits? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Thankfully I got off. That's the only speeding ticket I've ever gotten off. On. You, need um, to, you need to recycle that. Be like, oh, officer, I was just rowing. And I, all right. <laughs> yeah. um, that's so funny because my, my grandmother was, um, she was the, my mother's mother was the only grandparent I ever knew. They all um, died before I was born. And so um, I took up rowing. Uh, for just, I was only a rower for one semester before my grandmother died halfway through my freshman year. And um, she just, whenever I would talk about rowing with grandma, she would always be, oh, I'm afraid you're going to drown. I'm afraid you're going to go in the water. I'm like, grandma, you don't fly out of the boat. Like, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And only if you throw away your oars, all four at one time. I mean, I just, I can still see that like, like it was yesterday. Like, Courtney saying, are you sure we should do that with all four? <laughs> we'll have to bring that up with Courtney when we see her at Rancho La Puerta next week. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. That would be no fun. No, I just remember having to, um, uh, in the, sometimes if we were still rowing in late October, even, I mean, we still would be, but if it got cold too early in the season and you'd have, or when you would start rowing again in the spring and you'd have to break the, we didn't have a dock. That's how, that's how early I was yeah, in the rowing yeah. thing at Colgate. We didn't have a dock, so we would just walk it in from the shore, and we would have to break the little ice that had formed along the shore with our bare feet. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Times have yeah. changed, thankfully. It's a varsity sport there now. They have a whole bunch. The, the, the lake is still tiny, and I'm sure yeah. they, probably, they probably have some kind of Zamboni-like thing that breaks up the ice now for them. <laughs> a fine, reverse Zamboni, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so polar vortex, nothing. I'm breaking ice with my feet. Dimity slipping <laughs> out of the boat into the <laughs> 20 years ago, yeah, yeah. Yes. I did, I have to say, there was one workout, though, I did recently that I was pretty – uh, proud that I rallied because so I've been my daughter Amelia has been playing volleyball and uh, they have these long tournaments literally on Sunday it went from we left our house at 545 the venue was an hour away we got home at about six so I mean it's a 12-hour day um, and um, and so and they and like the way that the schedule goes is that they you know they play and then they ref which means they watch the sidelines and, and keep the score uh -huh. um, or, and then they have an off and then they play again, you know, so there's like, it's like you play, stop, play, stop. And um, the stops, like I usually, um, sometimes I'll go for a walk, but typically I work, um, you know, during those times. And, but I knew on Sunday I hadn't, um, I knew that I, I needed to run. And, um, and so I was like looking around with Windsor, Colorado, which is kind of, it's not in the middle of nowhere, but it's pretty rural. And I'm like, I'll find a trail there, you know, because I really don't want to run on concrete these days or even really pavement. And so I went out looking. So finally, 
um, they had, they finished their third game and they had to ref the last game, which was um, like supposed to be like an hour and a half. So I'm like, I can do this. So I go out and I'm looking for this um, canal trail thing that I can't find anywhere. And I'm like on a dirt road and I'm like, you know what? This is a dirt road. This is good enough. And so I pulled over in my little Chrysler Pacifica and um, changed in the back seat into my running clothes that I had brought and just ran up and down the dirt road for um, almost four miles. Uh, All I got passed by were pickup trucks, (laughs) like three pickup trucks, farmland on either side of me. Um, But uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, but but it's also like it's not like you live on that dirt road, so that it's like, oh yeah, there's that telephone pole again. You know, it's like okay, you know, you're in a place you'll never be again. Well, this is true. This is true. But I mean, literally, like I had driven up and down it already, looking for the trail. You know, I mean, it wasn't like it's not like oh, I'll just go, you know, investigate what's around that corner. I mean, it is just straight (laughs) straight dirt road. (laughs) You know, farmland on one side, farmland on the other side. Um, All good, all good. But I was like, you know, for me to rally on Sunday on a dirt road. It was four in the afternoon after an early morning. That was pretty, uh, that was, that was my medal for the week. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Ching, ching. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, um, speaking of um, cold weather or changes in weather, um, let's hear from Andrea who lives just outside of Toronto. Hi, ladies. Uh, My name is Andrea. I live in Canada, just outside of Toronto in a little town. Um, I ran my first marathon last fall or two weeks ago, three weeks, three months ago. Um, I'm wondering, I'm starting a marathon training plan a week or two before I travel to Florida for a week in the winter. Just wondering if you have any suggestions on going from minus 100,000 running to plus whatever, um, how that affects your body in the training. Uh, I love the podcast. I've been listening for a while. Thanks, guys. So, okay, so when I, you know, culled this question from the voicemails, you know, that negative 100,000 degrees seemed like an over-exaggeration. Now it seems a no, little... it's not. It's not hyperbole. Um, so, yeah, so I thought this not only related to right now, hopefully people are getting away from the weather, perhaps, but also, you know, when a sudden heat wave hits. I, I know it's probably hard to envision those things, but, you know, I think about Boston when it just suddenly was going to be almost 90 degrees in mid-April and those sort of things happen and that you know acclimation does take time and it It it, does you know and and my southern father would tell you you know there is a certain thinning of the blood (laughs) you know kind of it you, you just have to get your whole system used to it and so you just have to be um patient with yourself and don't apply too much pressure to yourself because you're not, your body will not just be able to perform like it did on the treadmill back home or wherever it was you were getting in your workouts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to know the number and if I looked, if I gave, if I, if I gave myself a little time, I would remember, but I feel like it's somewhere between, um, I think it's about 14 days or about 10 runs for that acclimation period. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's in that area. Right. And so, you know, it's definitely, um, going to take some time for your body to, you know, thin it out. So when you're headed to the tropics, you know, just, I would just like, you know, bring your GPS with you just for, for, you know, entertainment and, um, you know, but don't worry about your pace. Right. And that's, that's what we talk about a lot, um, in regards to, you know, um, 
when you're training, you know, uh, for a marathon or something like that, because, you know, whatever comes up on race day, you know, it could be humid, it could be hot, like you were saying, um, it could be hot in Boston, it's hot in Chicago. And, um, and all of a sudden you need to tune into your effort and not your pace. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have a run on the schedule that is an easy effort run, you want that to feel like an easy effort, regardless of whether you are in Jacksonville or Antarctica. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what, what does that feel like? Well, that feels like, you know, I'm taking an inhale every four steps. I'm taking an exhale every four steps. I'm, you know, super loose. I'm feeling comfortable. I feel like I could run with forever. However you, you know, quantify how that feels, mm-hmm. that's what you want to go for in the tropics. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So just that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, so, you know, cause, because it's just a short trip, it's not like she's acclimating for summertime. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's the easiest thing to do. I mean, the other thing, of course, is to remember, you know, the right clothes, <laughs> you know, remember <laughs> tank tops and shorts um, and also um, sunscreen, because yeah. especially if you're coming from somewhere and the sun rises early, you're like, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, it's fine. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get that tank top tea back burn <laughs> at like 730 in the morning? Mm-hmm. Um, and then drinking, of course, About, you know, yeah, so afterwards the hydration, yeah. you know, drinking noon on the beach or whatever you like for electrolytes and making sure that you replace all that sweat that you, that you got out um, so that you can go again if you want. Yeah. And drinking well, hydrating well before you go out, maybe paying a little more attention to eating more fruits and vegetables in your diet. So you're just kind of hydrating all the time. Yeah. And also, I mean, there is the option of, you know, going climate controlled and staying if, if, if the, you know, hotel you're staying at has a treadmill or something like that. But I mean, Oh my gosh, but go run outside if you're in Florida, (laughs) you're coming from negative a thousand degrees. I mean, if it's safe and it feels good, I mean, I would definitely, I would vote for fresh air and vitamin D over the climate. Oh, oh, certainly. But I think if, if she has a real concern or if she is a, you know, um, very concerned about doing the exact workout, you know, there is that option, you know, if it says you're supposed to do, you know, eight times 400 repeats or something like that. And she just doesn't feel she'll be able to step it up the pace up she could do it on the treadmill and she could she could i would argue though just playing devil's advocate i would argue that being outside and enjoying it even if you don't hit your paces is worth a lot more than one workout of hitting your paces. oh for sure let let the record show i would definitely be outside but you know there are people who enjoy um you know a consistent temperature and speed and you know not you know some people get concerned about getting lost or being you know if their only option is kind of on a you know busy street or something like that, sure, so absolutely. a treadmill is a legitimate a legitimate option. But um, but I, I living here in Portland, I of course vote for vitamin D exposure. So yes, so um, here's someone else who knows about running in cold weather, but that's not what our question is about. This is Courtney in Red Lodge, Montana. Sarah Dimity, this is Courtney calling from Red Lodge, Montana, and my question is. I'm just curious how you guys feel about training for your first marathon with small children. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and I've previously run, I think I've run eight half marathons, one last year, lots of 10Ks, and a few trail races, but I'm just kind of getting the marathon itch, and I want to know if you, if you had to go back and do it again, would you wait to run your first marathon until your kids were like in school or would you just go for it all right that's my question thanks ladies bye so dim this is like a 
throwback Tuesday, well, you know, when the year old and a three year old, that's exactly what, uh, we had. I mean, you had maybe had two and four. Yeah. But, um, that's what basically the age group that we were looking at when we, when we trained for and wrote run like a mother. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were the marathon moms on runner's world. That's so fun. <laughs> um, so it really depends upon what you want, Courtney. If you have the marathon itch, I would say scratch it, you know, um, <laughs> and just know that it's going to, you know, you have to have the perspective, right? And so, you know, when we signed up for the Nike Women's Marathon back in 2007, like I knew that I just wanted to get across the finish line, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just knew that I wanted the structure of training and the, the impetus to get out of bed every morning and something to focus on besides my kids. Um, that, that was my goal, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, I've got to run, you know, a, a 430 or faster, or I've got to be Q or I want this to be X, Y, Z. I was just like, I just want to see the finish line, you know? And so if you have a goal like that, that is more um, nebulous. So it's not because the, the worst thing is to train for it and then be disappointed on race day because it wasn't the race that you'd hoped it would be. Oh, maybe for instance, the, the experience that I had. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I mean, what I can't remember, were you, you were, because what, remind me what happened. Why are you disappointed? Yeah. <laughs> so my kids were, the twins were two and Phoebe was five. And it was one of the many times I was trying to run a sub four hour marathon. And, okay. and the result had nothing to do with the age of my children. It had to do with the fact that I had not thrown enough hills into my training so that, oh, yes. uh, you know, I, so I could, boy, I could have hit that number if the marathon was flat, but it was in San Francisco. So that was not, um, God, remember how I was just devastated. And then by the time we went out to that, um, place that's closed now, that sandwich, um, or no witchcraft. Oh my gosh, that sandwich place was so good. Um, and, and I was like, yep, I'm okay now. Like everything's okay in my family. Like I just, that went back to the hotel room, thought about my kids. And I'm like, you know what? In the scheme of things, running a sub four, it doesn't matter all that much. Or maybe looking at the course profile too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but yeah, I would say, don't you think she should go for it if she wants? I mean, if she wants. I I definitely think so. And And because you also have a great theory about training for your Ironman. I mean, that, that I, and, and we've had a guest on who actually did an Ironman as well. And she had the same theory, which is that, you know, to do it when your kids are either really young, when hopefully they can't miss you, or when they're older, that it's kind of that window, maybe from, I don't know, late preschool, kindergarten up through about, what do you say, third, fourth grade, depending on your kid, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where, I mean, when I did Ironman, I knew that I wanted my kids to be in school because I want, I knew that I didn't want to come home and have to, to tend to them. (laughs) You know, I mean, even after, you know, I mean, most of my workouts were, you know, in the morning on the weekdays, but even, you know, having the ability to nap if I needed to, which was rarely, but, um, but also just, you know, I just wanted them to be in school. That that's really what I want. And I really planned it around that because, um, I did Coeur d'Alene, which was in um, mid-June. So like mm-hmm. they were getting out of school as I was tapering. I went and raced and then I had most of the summer just to hang out and do, you know, minimal workouts. So, you know, I would th- take that into account, Courtney, um, about, you know, what would work best for your family's schedule. I mean, a fall marathon is lovely um, for a lot of the reasons we just described about temperature and stuff. But um, if summertime, training through the summertime is tough, then mm-hmm. maybe you want to think about a spring one. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I mean, there isn't ever a time where like the seas part and you're like, Oh my God, I have time and you know, motivation and the right fitness to train for a marathon. It's kind of like, okay, am I injury free? Is it interesting to me? Is, do I have enough stability in the rest of my life? Which again, we talk about this a lot, but I mean, like if you're changing a job, if you're going through a divorce, if you're moving, if you're, you know, there's, if there's anything else that's like significantly uprooting you in some way, emotionally or physically, that's not the time to train for a marathon. But if everything else is stable and you've got that itch, go for it. That sounds like a certain chapter or two out of a yellow book called Run Like a Mother. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, here is a question from Beth in Easton, Maryland. Hi, this is Beth from Easton, Maryland. And I've had a coach for um, about six months. And I really like her. And I like the training. And I've got tons of motivation and I've been doing the workouts, and I feel like I'm just not getting that much faster. Um, I ran a 21, uh, sorry, 23:35 uh, 5K in May, and I just feel like my times are just stagnant. Is it a matter of not pushing harder in the workouts? Is it just that that's the way it goes? Does it just take forever? Anyway, I just um getting a little frustrated, um, but still have tons of motivation and wanted to hear some input. Thank you. Bye. So this one, I, I, you know, it was interesting to me because that here she is working with a coach, yet her times are stagnant. And well, so I would say, I mean, the, fig, the biggest thing is a 5k time being stagnant. I mean, she's got a fast 5k mm-hmm. anyway, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's yes. sub 24 or 5k. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so as that time gets, you know, as the, as the race distance, a, a short race distance, it's really hard to shave time off of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that, first of all, I would ask her, have you expressed to your coach that you want to run a 22 minute 5k? Because mm-hmm. if that's what you want out of this coaching situation, then you need to work with your coach to find the right race and find, you know, the right time of year for you. And, um, and just make sure that everything is ideal because that's, it's tough, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I want to elaborate a little bit more on what you're saying just to drive home the point that, that, um, you know, maybe she started out with a 24, 10, 5k, and now she's at a 23, 34, you know, you think, well, oh, that's only 35 seconds off. Well, 35 seconds over the course of a 5k, that's significant. Whereas if you said, oh, I've been working with a coach for six months and I've taken 35 seconds off my marathon time, you'd be like, hmm, I think you need your money back from that coach. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and I mean, and so, yeah, so she's running seven somethings splits, right? Or a little bit maybe, yeah, seven something splits for a 5K. So to get, you know, it's just dwindling returns, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's a matter of not pushing harder in the workout. Um, I think that if you really like her and you like the training and you like the motivation, I think you need to communicate with her you know, mm-hmm. and say, this is what I want, right? And so what do I need to do? Do I need to do more strength? I'm loving these workouts. How can I make sure that I'm getting what I need out of them? I mean, I think, I don't think that there's any issue here other than um, making sure that Beth is really clear on what she wants out of the coaching relationship. And, um, and then the coach is helping her get there. Yeah. And I also, what I, I remember, Dim, when I would listen to you, 
uh, and you worked with Brianna, uh, sorry, let's edit that out. I said her name wrong. Alex, I know you're listening to us and you're on, have us on mute. So make sure you edit that out. So Dim, when I would be listening to you and you were working with the coach Bree that we ended up both using it, but you used her before I did, um, or you um, em employed her services before I did, that you'd always talk about these drills that she would have you do and warm ups that you would do before a workout, after a workout. And I just thought, Oh gosh, those just sound confusing. And what's the point of them? And Oh, I don't know if I could do those. And, and then when I started working with Bree myself and I saw the magic of those and that how much just, you know, doing that, that lunge series of, of uh, 25 lunges before you go out and do a, a intense workout because, you know, then it fires up your glutes. So they're um, better able to work when you call upon them to, to do a harder workout. You know, it's just, and then, you know, you do some grapevine or whatever afterwards. And it was like, Oh my gosh. And to me, those are like secrets that a good coach knows and that making sure that the coach is giving you things like that. And that if she's putting them in the plan to be doing them, because Again, they're really the secret sauce that makes all the rest of the work work that much better. I agree. I agree. Definitely. Like, so, the, so you're talking about like dynamic flexibility drills and, mm -hmm. um, and doing some, you know, some form focused drills and that kind of stuff, um, mm -hmm. as well as foam rolling and then strength too. I mean, you can't, I mean, I'm sure that these are already in there, but you know, I would just check, make sure that you're checking those boxes with those, that coach, um, mm -hmm. because it's not like you know, oh, six months and I'm, and I should be that much faster. I mean, it sounds again, like I feel like she's gotten a lot out of this relationship so far. So now it's just a matter of making sure that they fine tune it and, and get to where Beth wants to go. Mm -hmm. But I just think back, well, we'll move on to the next question in a second, but I think back to 2009 when I did, uh, when I PR'd in the marathon and, you know, I had an Olympian as my coach and that, you know, she, I just did the hardest workouts ever with her. And, but I think if she had had me doing the same type of drills that Bree had had me doing, I just think the possibilities were endless that, you know, I could have taken an, another two, three minutes off my time with no more effort in my workouts, no more effort, feet, perceived effort in the race itself, but just uh, muscle recruitment and looseness and um, dynamism in my stride that those, um, uh, drills and, and warmups brought to me. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot you can do off the road, right. Mm -hmm. That um, really contributes to on the road. Yeah, exactly. Well said, well said. So, and our final question comes from our pal Lisa in Connecticut. Hi, it's Lisa from Connecticut. Um, just wanted to say it was great to see you ladies at the Cape Cod retreat. I had such a great time meeting new people and reconnecting and learning lots of new things. So thanks, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon. Um, my question is, have you noticed um, there's a trend, it seems. I've looked at three different spring marathons, and they are a full and a half, and the full is a double loop of the half. So essentially, you're going through the finish line, and then you're running another half marathon. Um, I know that some ultras do that, and, and I think that would be mentally better um, because they're trail races, but this would be going through the whole race course again, which somehow just is kind of messing with my mind. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's because it's easier to get 
you know, maybe permits for just one shortened loop and keep it longer. Um, wondering what your thoughts are on that and uh, if this is an increased trend, what you would maybe say to do um, for your mental game. I, I'm just not sure I can do it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh look forward to hearing your answer. Bye. So I thought there was a lot to unpack here. I, I found it an intriguing question. Um, first of all, whether we've noticed this as a trend. And I have not noticed it per se as a trend. I'm wondering, Lisa, whether some of these are new races, because I, I can't imagine that too many established races, like it's not like the Hartford Marathon has suddenly been like, hey, you know what, let's do t- two loops instead of this usual, you know, big loop or out and back or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I wonder if some smaller races or newer races are doing it. And I mean, Dim, you and I talked about this before the show. I mean, the reason they would do it is because permits for closing roads are not only a whole bunch of work, but they're a whole lot of money. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, one way to create a race, right? Is to, um, is to loop it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And- yeah, and that um, last year it looked like, you know, well, it didn't look like it was that the Portland Marathon was canceled for a short while because of a whole lot of baloney that was going on with the race organizer. And then um, some local race organizers stepped in, took it over. But instead of having its um, fairly scenic, um, big, huge loop, it went out and it went out and back. And so that it only had to use, you know, have two of the half, the sorry, half the number of road closures that it normally would. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, they were like, oh, okay, how can we make this work? Still have a Portland marathon. Well, let's not, you know, let's have it go along that long stretch of highway 30 because there are no incoming roads. There's no side streets coming into it. And I remember um, when my kids were in elementary school, I sat on, I actually did some volunteer work, Dimity, uh, for the schools. <laughs> I should have had you sit down first. Um, and I was on this uh, committee that explored the option of doing a 5k race as a fundraiser for the school. And we had an official from the planning department of the Portland city government come in. The woman hadn't even sat down at the meeting yet. She hadn't even like really shaken everyone's hand there. And she said, you guys don't want to plan your own race. You want to be the beneficiary of a race. She said, it just is cost so much money to get permits so definitely it's definitely a huge obstacle and so um so that's one reason for sure um but yeah i I don't you know as if i were looking at races myself um Mm -hmm. i would say i mean you just have to know yourself right something like even the philadelphia marathon which is Mm -hmm. a big out and back you know you have the first the half marathon goes through a bunch of different as a nice like kind of looping course right and then Mm -hmm. and then you hit the schuylkill um, and you go out and back um, mm-hmm. for miles, what, like 14 to 24 or something like that. I mean, you know, and that is mentally very hard um, because you are, if you are, at, you know, especially if you are a slower runner and all of a sudden you see these whizzing people coming by, coming back at you and you're at, you know, they're at mile 23 and you are at 15. Like, oh my gosh, they are eight miles ahead of me. I have so far to go. It's the first, first marathon I ever ran was San Francisco and they had a long out and back store similar to that. And I'm like, I just want to hop over and go back the way there. Exactly. Well, they know they won't notice, right? They won't notice. <laughs> yeah, no, this was pre-chip, you know, they want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so to answer your question, I mean, I think you just have to know yourself. I think it's very, very hard to do that personally, to do a loop. I did a, I remember once I did, this is where, um, you know, ignorance is bliss. I did a 10K 
snowshoe race at the top of Vail Mountain a long, long time ago. Um, and it was two loops of the 5K race. And I had, you know, this, this ties it all together because I had something on my schedule. I was training for, I think, at like a half Ironman. And, um, and I, but I had this trip. It was like a press trip back in the day. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'll just do this, you know, this, you know, I'm supposed to bike and swim, but I'll just snowshoe for a 10K. And I remember watching everybody peel off after the 5K because they were going to the finish line and I had to go around again. And oh my gosh, it was worse than labor, like childbirth. <laughs> I mean, it's just the worst, right? So, um, so knowing what's coming up can be a benefit or a big, you know, deficit or big drawback, I guess is a better word. So yeah. I guess you just have to think about what is interesting to you. Yeah. And you, I mean, because there is a certain point, you know, I think you get a little bit, you know, so you fall into that valley. Again, we always talk about the peaks and valleys that happen in a race. You know, you have that, you're, you're suddenly, wah, wah, everybody's going toward the finish line and I'm going around again. You can probably get through then the next mile, pull yourself out by saying, oh, I'm so badass for doing this. You know, like they took the easy way out and I'm, you know, doing the hard way. But then I think it's gonna, you're gonna need more things. For me, I, you know, looked at Lisa's, listened to Lisa's question and I thought, man, you need a super peppy second half of playlist or you need yeah. the most, most like you need a podcast that is just going to hold your attention and make you just sit on the edge of your proverbial seat to keep you entertained and uh, make those miles go by because otherwise you will be looking at a long slog. Cause I do remember the second half of the Philly marathon and it was like, please, please, for all that yeah. is holy, let me get to that finish line. Totally. Well, and the other thing you could do, um, it also brings to mind a bunch of um, mother runners are headed to uh, this race called Three Days at the Fair, which, um, you know, Christine Hinton, again, throwing it way back, uh, one of our original Train Like a Mother coaches did. Um, and it's a one mile loop, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they're training for that um, by running during their training, you know, a lot of one mile loops because okay. then you're just used to that, right? Like mentally, she's like, you know, how do I stay in my mental game? Well, I would train that way too. I would say, you know, I'd find maybe a 10K course if you're going to run the marathon and run that three times, you know, mm -hmm. um, things like that. We actually, we did that in, we did that in Central Park back when they had those training runs for the New York City Marathon. So there's lots of um, ways that you can kind of get ready for it, I think. And, but I think mm -hmm. one of the ways, important ways would be to mimic, have your training mimic your race and don't, you know, don't go out on these, um, you know, lovely rolling courses that are point to point and, you know, you get to be um, stimulated the whole way <laughs> visually, you know? <laughs> and I would say also, Lisa, you know, if, if Dimity's suggestion there sounds like, oh, that sounds like, you know, torture. I don't want to do that. Then definitely choose another race. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, righty. Well, um, Let's put out that call for questions. The phone number is 470-BADASS-1. That is 470-223-2771. And Tim, tell them, you know, what they should be telling us when they call and leave that message. Um, they need their first name, where they're calling from. Uh, try to keep your message about 90 seconds or less. Um, and then tell your friends about the show as well as the regular Another Mother Runner podcast. We just landed on Spotify. <laughs> so um, it makes it even easier to find and listen to our show. Um, so keep the questions coming. We are always here with kind of long-winded but fun answers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs>